This week, Tom Young talks about harnessing natural curiosity to fix big real-world problems as he shares the journey as founder of Udrew, which offers a platform for homeowners to get council approvals much faster and makes building structures simple and more affordable. Tom shares how it was the catalyst of his own nine-month experience of trying to gain approval for merely erecting a fence, coupled together with his extensive background in geoengineering and drafting, that was the catalyst to work back from the endpoint to design a solution that would prevent others from the same experience. Tom is very open about the process of deciding to leave his safe job to follow the entrepreneurial path and how close he's come to losing everything along the way, yielding many interesting real-life stories from the trenches of business startup. What is impressive is both Tom's natural verve and energy to want to learn and solve problems, as well as his moral compass that has led him on his journey to date. So enjoy, Tom. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. There are many administrative entities that we encounter, machinations of government, councils, and apparently needless bureaucracy. These, ent- these entities seem to endlessly chew up time and money, and given perceived authoritative weight behind them, we often just concede to classing them as just the way it is, and hopelessly conceding to them. But not my guest today. My guest today is Tom Young. Founder of Udrew, which aims to significantly reduce the burden of building plans and approvals. Tom, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thanks very much for having us, Bryn. <laughs> You're welcome. So one of the questions I always start with is understanding people's relationship with Western Australia. And you were born in Subiaco. Yes, that's right. At so, King Eddie's. Oh, King Eddie's, yeah. Yep, yep. So can you give me, um, what was it like growing up in Western Australia for you? Oh, I loved it. Um, I've, I've Originally grew up around the city, so um, Subiaco, um, sort of that type of area. And then um, when I was quite young, we moved up to Gijiganup, which is about an hour north of the city. Beautiful area and fantastic for, you know, a five, six, seven, eight-year-old um, energetic boy who was curious about everything. Surprised I'd survive that, actually, <laughs> with all the <laughs> accidents I'd get into. But, um, yeah, so largely I, I see myself growing up in the country. That's where I did most of my growing up, on a sheep farm there. And um, then I hit my teens, and the first thing I wanted to do was move back to the city, of course. Yep. And now I'm so getting that, a bit that's more... Where the ma- action is. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yes. And um, yeah, our closest neighbours were a kilometre and a half away, so it was a pretty boring place when you get to that kind of social age. And um, yeah, sheep only keep your interest that long. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad. It does, so, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, <clears throat> cancel that part. Um, and so, yeah, the first thing I did was got my driver's license and moved back to the city. Yeah. And now as I'm, you know, ripening, I suppose, getting mature, um, the urge just keeps growing to move back up there. So yeah. it's a funny cycle, but I can always see myself ending up back at a farm somewhere. Yeah. So, you should yeah. class yourself as a proud West Aussie? Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, I love it here and I don't think I'd live anywhere else in the world. Um, well, not long term, maybe yeah. temporarily, but I'd always come back to Perth. Um I think we've just got it so easy here and we don't really realise it and how spoiled and lucky we are. And the more travelling I do, the more I appreciate it as well. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong, the only other place I'd consider living would be New York, probably. And it's <laughs> polar opposite to Perth, but it just works. Um, but I'd always come back to Perth, I think. Yes. Yeah, absolutely love it here. Superb. So there's, um, as I looked into your story you know, to prepare for this, there was, there's a strong problem-solving aspect to your story it's driven by your curiosity is that correct oh absolutely yeah um and i understand that that 
part of that curiosity comes out from a significant life event when you were around about what was that nineteen, and you were. Uh, yeah. Had a rare blood disorder diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That spurred a lot. Um, I'd say it was something I was always born with, but that yeah. was kind of the catalyst to speed it up. So um, when I was 19, I got diagnosed with a very rare um, blood condition, which basically means I don't have immunity to anything respiratory related. So like a cold could kill me kind of thing. Wow. So if, if you've ever seen that horrible movie, Bubble Boy, it's pretty much that, except I'm one stage below being locked in a bubble. So... Um, yeah, finding that out at 19 going on 20, um, you know, I was getting towards um, the final bit of my uni stuff. I I had all these dreams and aspirations about doing all this manly stuff. Like I wanted to join the Air Force as well and be a fireman and all the typical kind of teenage invincible boy stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was in the process of a few of those things and, you know, got, I was very physically fit back then, believe it or not. Things have changed quite a lot now. And I was just about to go semi-professional with ice hockey in um, oh, wow. in the US. Um, yeah, so I just played for Australia in the in ice hockey, and um, was getting to the point where a bunch of uh, colleges were offering me scholarships over there. So all that peak was just happening, and then I was told um, couldn't play ice hockey anymore, couldn't go to university anymore, and basically my whole life was just like, no, nope, you got to start again, kind of thing, um, which was you know pretty pretty in what depressing. Way? Um, well, because medically insurance wouldn't cover me playing ice hockey. Yep, well, yeah. um, I was studying geology and um, geology is a very practical science. So it involves going to the middle of nowhere and licking rocks. <laughs> and so uh, my doctors wouldn't let me leave anywhere that's more than an hour away from a hospital at all times. So um, the dean at the time was a bit unforgiving and said, well, look, you can't graduate if you can't do the practical. So what I did was um, continued studying, did all the theory myself. Um, lying in hospital beds over a few years and continued studying just because I loved doing it and really interested in it. And been a mobile for, um, you know, sort of 20 hours at a time, like not been able to move at all. It's like been a quadriplegic, except I could move my arms, I suppose, so I could still read. Um, you know, it just gave me the great opportunity to entertain myself with my mind. And so a lot of that was um, just coming up with creative solutions for things. And I found that fun. And it was, you know, interesting thing to do when you can't really do anything else. And so I taught myself a lot of other things, um, you know, got really interested in quantum physics for a while, Yeah, which I probably still couldn't explain to you what it's about, but... Um, We've had a leading quantum physicist Yeah, I think you mentioned that. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, so there's all these things that I'm just painfully curious about. Ever since I was a kid, I can remember, if, if I can't understand how something works, I need to find out, or yeah. it's like an itch that I just can't scratch, so... Um, and that's that why something you were born with, or was that role model? I think I was very much born like that, um, but it kind of got more so as I got older because I realised I had the ability to go learn these things that I was interested in instead of just, you know, guessing or whatever. And when the internet came out, that gave me that tool. Oh. So before then, we just had a copy of very outdated world book encyclopedias at the farm, yeah, and that was my guide to the universe um, growing up. I actually read through every volume from A to Z several times just because there was nothing to do at the farm um and yeah i've just always been driven by trying to understand things and um yeah it's just my big driver so mm. from about 19 to you know mid early 20s i did get hit pretty hard by you know been told i had to start again and yeah. i was told my life expectancy was probably not very long which um you know is a bit of a blow to confidence and things yeah. um and so you know there's a few years of partying and having too much fun 
Um, was before that I just trying to sweep it under the car? A little bit and just going, oh, bugger it, why not? You know, um, so I did a bit of traveling and drank way too much and um, best years of my life, actually. <laughs> so, um, but then, yeah, as I started uh, getting to mid, late 20s, I kind of thought, well, bugger it, you know, I'm still really interested in this stuff and I want to do something. And even if it's just for fun, I want to kind of understand some things. And um, yeah, so I did. And um, yeah, about the age of 30, um, some new medication came out, which makes it much more controllable. I was going to ask. Yeah. So, it's, you know, um, I've got past the deadline they gave me. Um, and um, now it's just like, you know, I don't really take much the doctors say about that stuff too seriously because, you know, could have a DNF really hit by a bus or yeah. meteorite, you know. You said you take med- medication regularly, mate. Yeah, I've got to do two blood infusions a week still. Yeah. So that's pretty horrible stuff, really. I've got a little nursing station at home, so I have to stab myself in the stomach twice a week and, wow. um, yeah, pump blood into me. It's not really blood blood, like vampire kind of thing. <laughs> it's like a component, so it's like clear maple syrup. It's only 30 mils at a time, but um, that sort of made me bulletproof now against getting sick so case point um um, me and my wife got quite sick a couple weeks ago lasted two days with me and she's still recovering now so so yeah i feel sorry for her one end of the scale to the other yeah so yeah i'm kind of bulletproof with stuff like that now so it's you know giving me a lot more confidence and um yeah just taught me that you know you know you can't let these things get in your way like you know just you got to go with it and do what you love and um that's the only way to really keep moving forward and enjoy yourself and get the most out of life so awesome yeah and that and i can probably see how that plays forward into the story we're going to listen to yeah yeah no it's it's been very much you know that was a pivot point i guess of Mm. um my life it would have been very different never know i could be mr december for the wa fireman but (laughs) (laughs) but you know things uh didn't turn out that way Uh and um yeah, I probably need to be a bit fitter than I am now to even qualify for that. But um, yeah, it's definitely shaped me and very much guided my journey. And yeah, it was a crucial point to get me in this direction. So Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you, Drew, at a summary level, can you give the listeners an idea of what is the problem that you're trying to solve with it? Yeah, it's, um, there's not one specific problem per se because it's quite a broad-ranging solution to a broad, complex area. So in a nutshell, though, it would be saying that we're trying to fix the broken building industry from start to finish. So um, we broken just... Broken building industry. Yeah, every aspect of it's broken. So, um, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but, um, you know, growing up, that was my career. There's always been in the building industry. So I've mm. seen it from that side, the internal side, and the side trying to build something myself. And it just doesn't work for either party. So um, for small, typical um, things you want to build, it's not a great return on investment for the building industry. So, and generally, you know, they're the types of things that might be built once every 10 years at Mm. a house. They're not repeat customers. They're not gonna, um, so as a result, um, they generally get underserviced and overcharged just because it's not economical for the building industry, but they still do it. These are things like extensions and- Yeah, it's smaller. Thing, home improvement kind of things, like, right? You know, even just building a retaining wall or a swimming pool, rather and, than um, building a whole house. Itself. Yeah, yeah. So the profit margins aren't there. So the industry generally puts them at the bottom of the pile, um, and you know they'll get to them, but it'll just take time and cost you quite a bit. And then you've got the um, the government side of things. So we've all been there, I think. Um, <laughs> and that was largely the inspiration behind it. So I'd had enough in about two thousand eight. I was 
finishing up some renos at my place. Um, I realized I forgot to put the plans in for the front fence, um, which I thought, oh, no big deal. I used to be a structural draftsman, so I dusted mm. off the computer and quickly drew it up. Um, my dad um, is an engineer, which is very handy, and he was on site with me that day, and so he signed the plans. Um, dropped him off at the council that afternoon, and it took um, seven and a half months to get um, just an approval stamp, which is ridiculous. It's just a simple... Is this for a fence you'd already put up? Yeah. Oh, no, I was about to put it up. So I I did the right thing, Um, (laughs) waited for approval and things, and it took seven and a half months. And so for a four-year build to be delayed seven and a half months at the end, it was just, I'd had enough. Um, So I finally got all the documents stamped and approved, and hooray, could finally build my fence. Um, And then I noticed that they'd misspelt my street name by one letter on the approval documents. And this is um, when uh, the government just introducing um, resale laws. So... You can't sell your house if basically all the documentation's not there for everything you get. And because my street name was spelt wrong, I was a bit younger and a bit more naive. And so I let them know. I just said, look, is that going to be a problem? And they told me to halt all work immediately and it needs to be re-approved just to put a t- fix a typo. It was literally, they'd forgot to put the letter U in the word fourth for Fourth Avenue. And um, so in their credit, it only took two and a half months to recheck that time. So nine and a half months later, I had an approval to build a fence, um, which was ridiculous. And it is. And yeah, it's just, it was all to code as well. Nothing needed fixing. It was fine. And so it got me thinking, you know, I could have had a baby in less time. Well, not me personally, and probably my wife, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? You collectively. Uh, yeah, collectively. Yeah, the team thing. Um, and it, it, I was just thinking, it's not that hard. Why is this just so painful and i'm from the industry so i understand yeah. what is it you've been doing previously to- um so i started off as a structural draftsman so yeah. going through high school um instead of being stuck at the farm i chose to go learn something so um i got a job um at an engineering company um getting taught how to be a structural drafty basically so by the time i finished high school i was a fully qualified structural draftsman um, before i went on to uni um which was you know really really good and taught me a lot that um, time I was a drafty. Um, and then, yeah, studied geology at uni, went back to the building industry, um, found a great niche. So all these big engineering companies were needing geotechnical laboratories set up. Right. So I completed all that stuff at uni already. So put me in a position, a rare position, where I understood the design engineering side and I also understood the geological side. So right. it's about bringing them together to make a laboratory that would... Um, be able to do all the geo analysis of building sites. So, and that, we use that to calculate the um, footings and foundations and the concrete that's needed, as well as the steel and a bunch of other things like about the actual building site itself that we need to then do the design. Yep. So I specialize in that um, probably the last decade um, I've been doing that. I co-founded another engineering company and did the same thing. And yeah. basically um, that type of work is for young boys who never grow up basically you get paid to play with mud and um oh it's great fun and yeah. for, for me the geology side i just find fascinating so we'd send out drillers to get core samples to be sent to the lab we'd do a bunch of tests and then i'd get all the numbers and all the have to do go kind of csi on on it and um tell them well calculate the optimal use of materials for the concrete and things so a lot of people glaze over boredom when i talk about that side but i find it fascinating so to me, get a core sample in, it's like reading a book. You can tell every detail about where that grain of sand came from, when it 
it was formed, um, how it got to this site, right. then what effects that has on everything else and water table as well as we chatted about. Um, it's about putting all these bits of information together to form yeah. this complete story of that building site and then how we can most economically make the house or whatever it is stand up on that building site. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's so my job. move away or... Anything. Yeah, yeah. Because the ground, it actually moves throughout the year. We yeah. don't notice it, but um, it can move quite a lot and it's enough to rip a house in half. So if you don't have the right site preparation, so that's like mm. putting the right thickness of that yellow sand stuff on and then the concrete to kind of keep it in place. Yeah, it can cause hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage. So um, yeah, my job was to stop that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so you would... So you've done all this stuff, and yet when it comes to the simple job of doing a fan, yeah, so, which probably doesn't need a load of geoengineering to it. A little bit, but not much. Bit. I've probably gone overkill on that side, to yeah. be honest with the system, but um, that, you know, that is my passion. But yeah, so it gave me a great oversight of the whole process. So from the building industry side of the design and uh, structural engineering um, and the geo stuff, obviously, to the building itself. So me and my friends built quite a lot of stuff just for fun. Um, that's a bit weird, but um, help them out with projects. They'd help me out. And so I let the practical side as well. Mm. Excuse me. And the council side was a little bit less familiar for me, but um, I figured you know, I'll give it a stab anyway. So um, in 2008, when I had my difficulties, I started working backwards from the problem. Like, why is it so difficult? So Google Earth was very new at the time and it was my new obsession. And so I saw the... Um, importance of having um, spatial data available. Um, it was just huge. And so from that, we can, all that was really missing were the variables that are needed within the engineering equations, but it's just physics and maths and algebra. So all that was missing was the algebra and we could get most of that from the spatial data. Now we can calculate, um, you know, the slopes of the land and we can see on satellite imagery if there's a tree there or not. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of potential in there. Um, so I slowly worked through the engineering equations. They were just working beautifully. Um, mm. Surprised me actually how easily that translated. But there was a few things that were missing and that took almost a decade of research on my end to get to figure out those few that were missing. Mm. And what light bulb things, moment, most of, of it was geo. Oh, so, right. and yeah, I was like, oh, well, hold up. That's my specialty. Yeah. And the problem came down to the fact that it's such a boring field that no one studied it. <laughs> right. And <laughs> so a lot of people play tennis or, you know, whatever as a hobby. I just do boring things. So um, I made it my mission to find out why. You keep saying they're boring. Who's told you that they're boring? <laughs> oh, I just, I think it's my friend group. Like they get like, oh, they've learned not to go on a road trip with me. I'll just go, oh, see that mound of sand or that pile of rocks. And I'll yeah. tell them all about it. And yeah, they just glaze over with boredom. You're going on road trips but, with the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> no, my wife's learned to appreciate it now. So she's really, right. she's into the rocks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Brainwashed her slowly. Um, so what was missing was the data. So I realized that in 2008 and... So from that point, I started collating every core sample very, very, very detailed in a giant database, um, like 70 points of data for every, um, you know, core sample that was sent in. Yeah. And slowly built that up and um, was using it to help predict properties of sites remotely, just roughly back then. But then I tied it in with um, the spatial data. This is what you were previously. Well, I, this is when the idea for Udary oh, came right, out yeah. in about 2008 working backwards from the problem. Um, so um, spatial data wise, we had now the ability to measure distances from things. So 
Um, that's largely what most of the council checks are for, like how far is it from the boundary, your neighbour, whatever. Um, so the spatial data, that got rid of a huge chunk. <coughs> but with the geo stuff, there was just no data available. So um, fast forward to about 2016, um, I finally had enough. And so I had 4,000 core samples from around Perth and WA. Finally had enough what? data. Yeah. Yep. And Where did you um, get all these... Just all the labs that I was setting up, um, every sample that came in, I'd log all the results, describe it, and put 70 points of information about mm. it. And so I used those 4,000 samples to um, create algorithms and equations that intermingle with the spatial data and some of the engineering stuff right. to very accurately predict the geomechanics. Um, so why that's important is um, usually that would take six to eight weeks to figure out um, at the moment. So... You'd need a driller to go to site, drill a certain amount of samples, send it to the lab for testing mm. analysis. Then that would have to then go to an engineer. Yeah. And blah blah blah. So um, by streamlining that side, it saves about two months, and we do it now in about 0.25 of a second. Oof. So it's um, very powerful when you bring these things together. And so what was difficult about it is the data just doesn't exist. So it was coming up with creative ways to create the data. So the longest one was the geo because there's just no way to do that. I needed physical samples and mm. things to create the algorithms. But um, the other things were, it's like, how do you get two unrelated big data sets to create a new set of data? So it's coming up with the algorithms in the middle to yep. extrapolate and learn from that to create something that doesn't exist. Yes. So I really enjoyed that aspect of being creative and trying to figure out solutions that way. So we did a lot of, um, we've got a lot of algorithms now that deal with wind tunneling effects that it learns, it does a 16 kilometre sweep around the lot and learns where houses are and how that affects wind blowing mm. and trees. And so it was, yeah, coming up with those things. There was just lots of little things like that. So yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the challenge of that. And um, maybe I'm a bit OCD, but yeah, figuring out how everything interconnects is sort of one of my drivers. And mm. it comes down to that curiosity I've got is I, I like to understand things um, and try and learn them if I don't. And uh, most of the time I can come up with a solution. So, mm. yeah, it's just... Certainly that interconnect interconnectedness. Yeah. I find, uh, I find myself drawn to patterns. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, without sounding like a conspiracy theorist or something like that, but um, everything is in its way interconnected, you know, um, like geology especially. Geology is the science of the earth. And, and the universe as well so mm. it all comes down to how everything interrelates with each other and then figuring out how you can then tie them together and I guess that's the goal of physicists to come up with the equation that solves everything yes um, that's way out of my scope and <laughs> intellect but you know, we're trying to do similar things with the building industry with all these interrelated seemingly separate fields so we've got surveying engineering architecture the drawing of the plans mm. as well and materials and there's a number of things that are very different fields but they're all connected to get to the same outcome which is building something and so it's very much just working backwards hmm. from the problem and just slowly ticking off as things were solved until we've got to this point now where we're just about to sign our go live documents with our first government um yeah so it's very exciting so you go to these algorithms Mm -hmm. You've got these core samples, you've recreated these algorithms, you've worked back. So what is it you've actually built? Yep. So <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> Still trying to figure it out. It's a monster. No. Um, so it's a single location 
to do your entire building project from start to finish. Right. And um, uh, <laughs> a new goal, actually, it makes me laugh. So we're streamlining, we're making building and design as easy as ordering a pizza. So right. if you can use an iPhone, you can be your own engineer um, and do your whole project from start to finish. So, so you sort of draw it out in there and and then it sort of tells you whether you can or can't do this stuff. Yeah, out. the user does it themselves. So um, basically they type in where they want whatever it is they're building built. Um, they select what they want to build and you can select multiple things and then scaled satellite imagery comes up and shows you boundaries and things like that. And you literally follow the instructions, just sketch the outline of whatever it is you're building. Mm. And in real time, as you're sketching, um, it'll either go red, orange or green. So it's like a traffic light. Right. Red is like, it's blatantly wrong. You're building your pool half in your neighbor's lot, for example, right. or onto a road or something. It's just something you just can't do. Yeah. Orange is something subjective. Um, and it happens only about 1% of the time. Yep. And that's something that it's slightly against the council rule, but they're a bit lenient and you can apply appeal and you should be able to get it passed. Yeah. And green is everything meets every it's regulation, every yeah. national, local, every engineering principle. Um, and so if it doesn't comply, what it does is fixes it. So um, uh, as you're sketching it, assuming you've got a nice green line, if there's a nasty council rule that you just don't know about, what it will do, it will just tell you, look, we're going to have to fix this. Would you like it to be fixed? And press OK. And it just redesigns it around that problem. So say if there's a nasty underground utility there, it'll just design something to come up um, mm. with a compliant solution. Put the that, deep end at the other end. Yeah. If it's a swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. So it learns as you're drawing and um, gives you the option to fix it all as you're drawing it. Um, That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, I should really show you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah kind of, it's a bit podcast. hard without the visual thing, yeah. but basically sketch what you want to build as you're sketching it. Um, it's checking against every regulation, mm. um, calculating every brick, bag of sand, nail that you need. And also um, creating the most efficient structural design. So it's always mm. going to be the um, most economical and most practical solution every time. So, And once it's you've done the basic sketch, it generates the drawings for you. So um, all the concrete's been calculated at this point, mm. um, all the steel, every component. And you can physically see what it is you're building, which is great. Um, you don't have to wait a month for a draft year to draw up something. Um, and if you decide you should might want it limestone instead of brick or whatever mm. you just click and change it and it regenerates it recalculates yeah. it and all so the... have you have you had to pull in all the all the different rules and regulations into <laughs> what you're doing or do you yeah the first because uh, we're just about to go live with our first council we've been very much manual process of setting that up yeah. which has not been fun. So um, very lucky, though, to have the city of Wanneroo on board with their support. Mm. Um, they've patiently sat with me for the last year and a half, and we've gone through it together to create the template. So mm. um, we know for this structure, these are the rules that it's checking against. Um, so it's taken a while, and a lot of highlighters and big piles of regulations we've had to go through, figure out how they all interconnect. Yeah. Um, and, yep, it's looking good to so go live now. That was a useful experience for them. To actually reflect on the, it uh, was it was very interesting we had because we had them all in the same room which they're not often it doesn't often happen um i'd say okay so this regulation um this is my interpretation 
I just want to check we're on the same wavelength and I get four different interpretations of the same rule. So a few of those popped up and we ended up coming to a consensus and that's what's coded up in the system. Yeah. Um, the next council gets much easier. From there, we just literally duplicate the back end's yes. uh, perimeters, I guess. And see where they're slightly different. Yep. And then the third gets even easier because we've got all these things and they can just select which yeah. ones they want. So the first one's always going to be tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's where it's taken the time. Um, and where I'm so grateful for the city of Wanneroo for their patience and support. And, um, and so would it mean that when you've landed on your design, you've got all the green lights, say, green lines, mm -hmm. then you can, in effect, go submit. Yeah. And it's done. Yeah, my record was 1 minute 36 seconds from a blank piece of paper, I guess, to fully completed engineering um, design um, and council approval. So, and council approval. Yeah, but in, you know, in realistic terms, I did build the system, so I know how to use it. And yeah. it did take a couple of goes to get it down to a minute 36. But yeah, yeah. Um, we're aiming to get people to be able to do the whole thing from start to finish in less than 20 minutes. Wow. Um, and our user That's tests, they've, they've come up with the 20 minute mark too, our first batch of um, user testing. So we're on target. Hopefully we'll get it quicker. Um, but the whole, the whole system, it's totally dynamic. So we don't use any like libraries of just pictures of drawings. Everything's calculated mathematically and that's where it gets its power from. So, um, it learns as, a, as you're drawing mm -hmm. and rewrites itself to suit every detail. Um, it's just doing so much in the back that, um, yeah, it's, you know, if I do say so myself, it's pretty clever. Yeah, yeah, works, no, it sounds incredible. Um, yeah, I think with that visual context, it's hard to picture, but basically it's four steps and you've got your plans. And the approval to go yeah. with it. Yeah, and if you want as well, um, yeah, it prints out the full shopping list of materials. We're not forcing people to buy anything through us. We're just providing yeah. it because we can. Um, and that's largely a lot of the things we are doing. It's just because we can. We're not going to make money off it. It's mm. just making lives easier. So it's how do we make the person who just wants to build something, um, how do we make their lives easier? How do we make the industry's life easier? And mm. the government's. Um, so it's about getting all these cogs of the wheels spinning in motion at the same time. And that's where I see um, a lot of the challenges were is getting the support from everyone at the same time so we can come together yeah. to make this thing. Um, so, who, who is the actual client and where's the revenue generated from? So right now, there's not many of them. Um, <laughs> so we're not live properly yet, but um, we're doing some real jobs at the moment. So we're doing some like B2C, so custom, like just people who want to build stuff. Yeah. Um, so first, I wondered whether it was the council or the actual client. The first few months, it's definitely um, the building industry. Mm. So we're making tools for tradies and builders to be able to just go to site and do the plans with yeah. their clients straight away and just start building then so they don't have to wait. There's no downtime. Um, they're our first um, focus. Right. And the reason for that is um, we want to learn a bit more as well from them and polish the tool so it's, it, it suits them and gets the most benefit before we start just releasing it to you know everybody the general public yeah so we want to work with the building industry um as a priority and then eventually it'd be nice to have the tool just online anyone can log in yeah and um from that select their bricky select their roof tiler and um manage their whole project basically mm. um that's the goal and um yeah we're getting closer to it every day 
still a little bit to go, but um, it's very exciting. So. Mm. Tell me about the point where you'd been tinkering with the problem and you suddenly got to, shit, this could be a business. Ah, oh, the Eureka. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you exactly when that happened. So that was 2016. Um, early to, oh, actually it was late 2015. So I finally had enough geo data. And so um, I made this huge Excel um, spreadsheet that would just mathematically tell me yes or no. And to my surprise, I got a yes, it worked. Um, and I was just blown away. I thought it was going to take years more. And, mm. you know, I've been working on it for so long, I wasn't expecting it to work the first time. So from that, I was like, holy shit, this can actually work. Um, and then how do we make it to a business? And how do I pay for it? And that's when all those questions came. And usually that was the point where I'd go, it's a nice idea, but, you know, mm. I've got to continue on with my life and pay bills. And yeah. but, a regular job at this point. Yeah, yeah. And um, this was... I told myself, I fought with myself, said, nope, go ahead with one of your ideas. So I've had so many other ideas, which I've canned and just left, yeah. proven they worked and just kind of walked away because I didn't have the confidence to go ahead right. with them. Was that almost enough for you to prove, oh, this works, so I know no. within myself it's fine, but never actually taking action on it? Yeah, so, and that was due to confidence because I didn't understand the business world and yeah. things like that. And then five years, like, it was always five years, someone would release it and they'd end up a billionaire for an idea that I had five years earlier and I'd proved out and things. So this one was the first time I thought, no, nope, I'm going to give it a go. Why was this different? Um, I'd had enough of seeing my old ideas um, going, taking off and, you know, just going phenomenally. And it was a challenge. Every year I like to learn something new. Um, one year it was flying a helicopter. Another one it was getting my scuba license. And another one it was like gardening or something boring. But um, every year there's something. And so I thought this would be a good one for the that year just to give mm. it a go and sit and try and learn a little bit. And I was very lucky at the time, um, had a external business sort of coach running a monthly management meetings at work and he could see my frustration. Like I've got all these ideas, but I didn't know how to present them mm. and sell them to people to get them as excited as I was. Yes. So he taught me a little bit about that. Take them on the epiphany journey. With yeah. You. Yeah. Cause usually I just show some giant spreadsheet with, <laughs> incomprehensible numbers bubble and then that's it glaze over yeah yeah so he um uh recommended i try for a scholarship at curtain ignition which is um like a six day they call it sort of nicknamed it like a six day master of business course so it's very intensive um and so i applied for that and very lucky and i got a scholarship um, wow. through the city of wanneroo actually um and they that gave me a six day intensive look at like how to secure your intellectual property, how to market, how to pitch your idea and all the business stuff, which I didn't have a clue about. Mm. And so that gave me a lot of confidence. So even if you step back slightly, so once um, I'd proven like the green light came on saying it worked, no one would believe me because it's such mm. a complicated thing. And so I realized that I had to be able to show them visually that it worked. So design something and it draws the correct things. Um, so I went around trying to get quotes from programmers and I just couldn't afford it. It was just for someone who had bugger all money. And um, yeah. so I kind of, that made me very depressed. But then I just, the light bulb was like, fuck it, I'm going to teach myself coding. So um, over two months, I taught myself coding and ended up creating the first working right. beta demo. And um, yeah, I've got it still working actually. It still draws fence designs and driveways and things. Yeah. 
um, it worked beautiful. So that's what I actually got the scholarship through that little visual demo. Um, and so, yeah, it's just all about, um, if you get a hurdle, just find a way around it. Mm. And, um, there's always a solution out there. If it means a slight detour, then you can get back on track. So be it, but you can always keep moving forward. If you're creative and persistent mm. enough, I guess it's the, <laughs> what was it like breaking the news to the, to your wife? Right this idea is going to be the one that I actually act on she, and, and, and to tell those around you. Yeah, well, she was just fantastic and she's still um, 100% with me on the journey. Just on the way here, um, she got a bit teary over the phone when I told her about that meeting that I had this morning. Like mm. every significant step, you know, we're just so, both of us involved in it. She's just as involved as I am. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's helped a lot bouncing ideas off. Mm. She gives me ideas as well and um, she's, just as in it as I am. So um, we still get these moments of shock, like, holy shit, did that actually happen? Like, so, you know, yeah, it still happens frequently. It's like, I can't believe we've got this far and, you know, it's working and, yeah, this person wants to meet mm. now and blah, blah, blah. It's very exciting, mm. very stressful too. But obviously, <laughs> there's, obviously there's like this outer achievement of, you know, getting something up and running and this, that and the other. But what, what does this mean to you, personally yeah it's a bit of a you know a bit of a fuck you to a lot of people out there <laughs> who have told me in the past like um you know why bother it's never going to work and it's not just with this concept yeah. this is with hundreds of other things i've presented in the past and wanted to pursue yeah and so it's a bit of a you know um you know thing to them as well like saying see i told you i was on or something but um and you know that's a big one for me and it's also my big driver is just I want to understand and learn it still. And for me, this is a good opportunity to keep pushing that and keep yeah. coming up with cool ways to solve big problems. Um, is that what you enjoy doing? Oh, I love it. That's my big driver is solving problems in creative ways um, just to make life easier for everybody. And the beautiful thing about construction technology is um, it's there's no one doing it. It's very much pioneering um, yeah. a lot of it. Sounds arrogant. There's a, there's other really great companies out there, but compared to like financial technology or medical, mm. it's very much at its early days. And so there's a lot of open field and there's a, still a lot of problems out there that need solving. Mm. And so it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, kind of get our pick of which problems um, we want to solve and um, how we can bring the maximum benefit to everyone else. So um, a lot of it is about just making cool things that solve big problems and... That's a big driver for me. Mm. So, yeah. So tell me about, you, you made your, you taught yourself coding. You made your, mm -hmm. your first thing. You've done the Ignite program. Tell me about the journey from there. Yeah, so that was um, a huge wake up. Now that I had a bit of confidence and understood the business aspects and some legal aspects too and how to present things, um, I was still working full time at the, that point. Um, Every night I locked myself away for six hours or so and just got everything out of my head onto a giant document, which was about, I think, 60 pages long um, for this concept on how it would work, how it would mm. come together. Basically, um, so you drew for dummies. Doing two jobs at once then, in effect. Yeah, and I just had my first child at that point too. Oof. So sleep wasn't really a um, <laughs> common occurrence. Priority. <laughs> still, still really isn't, but um, I'm lucky in that sense. I don't really sleep much anyway, so... Um, didn't hit me too hard. But got another baby coming next month, actually. So I'm 
we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I got everything out of my head onto paper and then um, uh, took it to some lawyers to see if we could get some patents. And um, yeah, he said there's about 15 patents within that document that no one's ever done before. And I was like, oh, wow, cool. That's very exciting. Unfortunately, patents cost an arm and a leg. So I could afford the poor man's patent, which was a provisional, which kind of covered me a year. I then got another patent the following year. And I've just submitted my PCT patents yesterday. So that was cool. So the first thing I did was, yeah, get everything out, make sure it still made sense. Yeah. Um, and it was great because it gave me the opportunity to put it all together, this huge net of seemingly unrelated things and how to get it in a flow so it worked, so it made sense. Um, and yeah, it worked beautifully. Um, from that point, um, it took until um, 2017 where I started looking around to get proper professional um, programmers to start working on the real version. Um, so I'm still working closely with Wanneroo at this point. Um, and they've just. At what point did they come on board? Um, they gave me the scholarship for Ignition. Yep. So sort of it continued on from that. Um, they saw the value in it. Mm. Um, and so it was about setting up a pilot test and so we set up a very limited pilot test um, early mid 2017 and we got some great results from that and um, it sort of validated everything as well so it showed that we could save them about $300,000 <coughs> per annum mm. um, just in doubling up typing input you know from forms that are filled out and wow. and reducing the human error factors and things it was just amazing um, and it sped up the process by 96% on their side and that was back then, and I, I see the system back then has been quite crude and um, outdated, very outdated compared to what it is now. So mm. it was really positive to have these actual metrics, and that really helped. So I quit my job, my beautiful, secure, stable, fun, that the interesting scare, job. scariest moment? It was very scary. Um, and my wife had a lot of input on that. Um, she was with me 100%. And, um, yeah, so... It wasn't me just recklessly quitting and yeah. not going, off, coming out. Oh, honey, by the way, journey. we have no income. But I timed it quite well, so it was my long service leave, and um, I'd made sure my tax return was going to be a bit bigger that year. So I'd sort of seen it coming, yeah. prepared, and so, so it's almost like a perfect time to do it. You got a bit of yeah for a period, yeah, and so that was very scary still. So I had a year and a bit without an income after that, which is very difficult seeing it tick down like that I'm still trying to build this thing which is getting more expensive every week and did you start to have the whole oh, oh I, yeah every week I still have that. <laughs> it's getting less and less now I've got to say but um, so yeah seeing the money go down I ended up getting um, an investment loan out with my house as collateral to help pay for development which is still on there I'm still paying back so if it does, you know, fail miserably and spectacularly, um, you know, I will lose my house still at this to this day, but it's getting less likely every day, which is a big relief. But then um, I was very fortunate, literally um, had, I'd, we'd run out of money six days earlier, but I'd managed to raise um, half a million dollars last year. Um, so that saved us, basically. It was at the point where we we're gonna have to sell the house, like six days without any money at all. We were selling DVDs at, to the cashies. Um, I'd already sold my car. Um, my dignity was gone long before then as well. So um, yeah, it was very close. It was very, very close, but managed to get some awesome investors on board. 
but the troubling thing was I'd actually turned down a lot of money before that. Um, the problem I've got is my principles. And, <laughs> and so it was from people I didn't think had the right intentions or things like that. So I, the hardest thing to do was turn down um, a million dollar check when you've got two weeks of like living money available before you lose your house. But I literally did that a couple of times and um, I don't regret it. It was very stressful at the time. Um, but um, I'm glad I stuck through to my principles and morals mm. and I've got some fantastic investors on board now. Couldn't be happier with them. Um, they're experts in their own field. So we've got um, a lawyer, I've got a civil engineering company and two of Australia's best tech kind of entrepreneur specialists as well. So mm. really great foundation to start with and um, yeah, very lucky to get them. So from that, I could finally get some staff. So I've just got the superstar team um, come on board and I actually poached them all from Queensland. So um, they've just flown over um, in November and we've got seven staff now and looking at having possibly up to 18 or 19 by June, uh, July. So, wow. So yeah, I've wow. been kind of doing the work of 19 people for the last two years and it's like, Sorry, but yeah, it's just killed me. But um, learnt a lot and mm. um, wouldn't change it at all, except for maybe go back and reassure myself um, if I had a time machine. Say, look, just stick with it. You're doing it right. But yeah, that's... at the time, the roller coasters just go from epic high, like, oh my God, I've got something. It's working. Everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. To an hour later, it's like, oh God, my house. I'm going to lose my house. And so it's very, it's an emotional roller coaster. And I learned a lot about my inner workings from it and my mm. inner psych as well. But it comes down to persistence and determination. And I'm very passionate about what I do and um, positive that it's going to make a huge mm. difference to um, the building industry. And, you know, it's, it's just got too many benefits. So, um, how has it been received? Really, by, really by well. It's funny. Public industry. Yeah, it's funny. So, the building has industry. Has any resistance as well? <laughs> no, actually, just um, support. So what we're doing is because it's the jobs that are just a pain in the ass for people, a lot of builders, they do them, but it's not their target. There's not much profit in it. It's a pain in the ass because these people want to yeah, like typically the change their mind a lot and it goes back and forward quite a lot. And so by us freeing up that from them, they're able to concentrate on these bigger projects and the more profitable things and make their jobs more efficient. So with Udru for the builders aspects, um, we're turning these kind of low um return i guess and pain in the ass um clients into a plus clients so we're letting them do it all straight away instantly and for 70 percent less than it would usually cost and so it's encouraging for the builders they can now do these jobs straight away and build it, and still so. make money off it yeah. and um so it's just about making it more efficient for everybody mm. and um and sort of related so from the council's perspective, a few planners initially were a bit, um, a little bit of friction because they were seeing it's the replacement of their jobs, which to me, I've always seen it as the polar opposite of that. So you don't go to uni for three years, study urban planning and design to approve a wall or, you know, a garage or something. Um, so they have much the same issues that the building industry does where these people, they might submit their plans on a napkin um, yeah. As a draft, you'd be surprised how much we'd get that, about four or five a year. It's yeah. drawn always McDonald's napkins too. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, um, so it's sort of streamlined, just making their lives easier as well. 
giving them more resources to actually focus on smart city planning, urban development, um, and doing the things they actually studied and care about rather than approving a small retaining wall or, you know, a driveway or something like that. So it's freeing up their time to do things that they want to do. And in return, that's better for us ratepayers because we're going to get better service, better mm. um, city design. And um, yeah, so it's kind of about filtering out the stuff that we can do and then letting them concentrate on the complex things and yeah. giving them the tools to make their lives easier. Yeah. So, which then has flow on effects to us. So well, at least that's my you know big romantic vision of it. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it seems to be looking pretty good at the moment. Um, you, you know, you're talking to a former management consultant. You know, if, if people lose jobs because they're doing administration that's non-value-add that can be mechanised or replaced with technology, then that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who's making jobs for jobs' sake? But it was, it was really interesting, the feedback we had from the planning department after our first um, two pilots. So <clears throat> they started off a bit reluctant, but by the second one, um, I think they'd given it 96 or 90 four percent satisfaction wow. on it so they'd really turned around and they can see that it's just there to make their lives easier mm. and um hopefully provide a better service for you know the constituents in the end so mm. yeah no it was really positive because at first it bugged me a bit like people going it's going to take our jobs and things but it's it's more of a, it's a compliment change, isn't it? yeah i think it's more complementary to their jobs so it'll yeah. allow them to do more um more efficiently and so that more work at a with more overheads, hopefully, and less cost for the person wanting to build something. So it's sort of like about getting the balance, so the win-win-win between government, industry, and the person wanting something built. And that was the hard thing. So a lot of the business people, um, they come and give me the advice, oh, you should be making it three times more expensive if you can do it straight away and more accurately. But that's against our principles. We want to make it more efficient and more affordable to encourage more people to want to do it. And so... It's interesting the different perspectives we get from that. Mm. Yeah. So. Um, obviously, listening to the story of how you've gone from idea through all the way through to you know, losing your home and then investing and etc. How has the marketing pitch evolved? Yeah. Marketing <laughs> with it. Because <laughs> you have yeah. to tell a clear and concise story. Yeah. God, um, I still struggle with that. <laughs> really. <laughs> but um, started off there was none. Uh, the, the pitch was basically, oh, I figured out how to do this really cool thing. And people were like, well, why do we give a shit? And so Ignition really taught me the foundations of how to, you know, sell the idea better. Mm. Um, so it has changed a lot. And it does ch- change slightly d- on the context of who I'm talking to. So marketing pitch for the government's very different to the pitch I'll give to um, the Bricky or mm. um, the giant tech company. They're... Well, they, they all have quite, different challenges, don't they? They do, and they've got they see different values in different areas. Um, so, it does change a bit, and it's constantly evolving. But um, it did come down to me literally just writing, "This is a valuable thing. This is a valuable thing," and figuring out the perspectives of each of those different ones. And a lot of it came from them telling me. Um, yeah. So, I didn't, and I still don't have all of the answers. Um, and I asked them as well Mm. like um what's the worst thing about your job what do you hate doing the most and they'll tell me a bit and we go oh good the system does that already that's good and if it's something that we hadn't thought of you know we can look at a way to put it in the system to make their lives easier if it's you know economically feasible for us to do at least Mm. 
And that's what it's about, learning as much as we can from the different segments because it's such a broad covering thing um, and trying to get it the best product that we can for everybody. Um, yeah, so I don't know, did you want me to give you the marketing pitch no. now? or I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> kind of curious in that, I guess, well, you can if you want. It's oh, just geez. been interesting. I find it interesting, you know, as you go deeper into the solution, mm. you start to see more and more benefits that it delivers to different people and it becomes clearer and clearer and with that so the marketing pitch does as well yeah yeah it's a complex beast um <clears throat> very much so so for the government side the marketing pitch i um we'd usually talk about with them is um the resources that it saves and how it saves it and then how it provides better value for their ratepayers. Mm. so before a lot of this started i I must admit, I didn't have much sympathy for the local governments. Like we've no. all, we all pay our rates with gritted teeth. And yeah, um, yeah I'll leave it at that because I still need to talk to a few. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't realise how much of an issue it is for them until I got talking to them. Yes. And it's given me a lot of empathy now, um, which I just didn't realise it was such a problem. And these poor buggers, they didn't stand a chance from the start. So... Um, I've seen the internal flow processes of a few councils. There's 40 points of contact just to get an approval for something really small. How the fuck anything's ever got it in, approved? I, I have no idea because mm. it's just so complex. So they're dealing with outdated systems. They're dealing with um, really poor quality submissions, which, um, you know, it's not always the person's fault submitting it because the, the forms are just so confusing sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned the napkins before with the drawings yeah. and people changing their minds. And so they're in this awkward position between getting yelled at by a builder wanting their plans quicker or yelled at by a, um, a local who doesn't understand why they can't build that or this. Yeah. And so a lot of it for them is that perception as well, that they're trying to do something. They've recognized that, yes, we need to um, improve our processes and we're doing something about it. So yeah. um, that's a bit of... That uh, feedback I've had from the government mm. and largely what I do in the, the pitch when I'm talking to them. But the big exciting one for me, and this comes down to my analyst background with the geo stuff, I love my numbers and data. So because everything's now getting drawn digitally, um, we get a great snapshot of um, what's happening on a microscopic level um, in their areas. So... Mm. Um, after we've built up a bit more and you know done a few more jobs and things, um, we're going to get a great insight into what's happening in their areas. We're going to see what policies are working, what policies aren't working, yeah. versus what the people in the industry are wanting. And so it's providing a digital bridge um, with the government and it'll hopefully align everybody together on the same page and so the government can then see this and react to change it rather than putting in some archaic law or yes. something like that. It's going to help them adapt to the times better. Mm, and real time and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, there's a number of other things as well, which I get very excited about. Yeah. Such as like, so everything that's built through the system is effectively a digital twin. So we've got mm. a digital version in three dimensions of these structures. And so we can use that for wind tunneling effects. Um, on the greater Perth area and get better designs and outcomes for smart cities. It's just a lot of buzzwords, really. Not a, buzz, yeah. a lot of buzzwords. Um, but I'm really excited to see how that plays out once we mm. do get enough data. 
Um, also on a scientific level, it's really valuable. Um, and I'm looking forward to exploring further applications with agriculture, hydrology, which is water table stuff. And we were about to undertake a really exciting research project on some stuff about that. So that's gonna give us indications of to what extent if climate change is affecting WA and how it is. And all this right. is the same algorithms that we're using to you know, do engineering and just tweaked slightly. So I'm very excited about that side and what that will lead to. And we've got the theory at the moment, we should be able to save about $100,000 per house that's built in about five years. So wow. that's what we're working to is just make it cheaper and um, better quality and more efficient. Awesome. What have been some of the unexpected benefits of this journey? Benefits? <laughs> to you. Yeah. Um, for me, the biggest one is just what I've learned and the people I've met through it. Um, so before Ignition, I had no connection to the technology world or the startup business world. Just the people I meet weekly through that, they're just so inspiring. And um, there's some fantastic minds out there in Perth wanting to do these awesome little things and they're just so passionate about it. It's addictive hanging around them. Um, mm. If you go to any of these space cubed like meetups and things, you just come out buzzing because someone gets up there and might talk about the most boring subject in the world, but they're so passionate about it. You and that passion gets absorbed yeah. and you end up going, God, that is bloody cool. And yeah. then you apply it to your little boring passion if it is boring anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's addictive and contagious. So um, that's been one of the big benefits for me is just been made aware that this community exists yeah. passionate innovative people source of energy for you on a yeah. lonely path absolutely and the building industry is very secretive so you keep your cards very close to your chest and it's very aggressive and um whereas the tech and the startup industry everyone collaborates you might have your absolute competitor sitting next to you and swapping ideas and going oh that's really cool and love how you did that and you just help each other and it's such a great collaborative environment and um for that, yeah, um, that's big. my big plus. No matter how you Drew goes, I've always got that now, and that's a big win for me. Mm. But, um, but yeah, some of the benefits, yeah, just about learning and meeting people, that's definitely the highlights. Um, yeah, I've definitely got a lot more gray hair, so that's not really a great thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd say those two are definitely the big ones for me. And the personal satisfaction as well is yeah. nice, is getting people as excited as you are about this thing you've been passionate about for so long. Um, that's very rewarding as well. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, you sort of alluded to this earlier. What are some of the things you've learned about yourself on this journey? Yeah. Um, I've learned that I'm definitely I stick to my principles and morals, which is not always a great outcome. Like often I'll lose out because of it, but it's taught me that I am, I, I do do it, so it's not just in my head that I think I'm a, you know, I stick to my principles and things. So um, that's been good. And a lot of the feedback I get is that it's so refreshing just to talk to someone um, who's a, themselves. So I'm, I'm not a salesman by any means. Yeah. So going to these meetings, a lot of people go, oh, it's just so nice to talk to a real person um, and really refreshing and things like that. So it's been nice feedback to hear that. Yes. Um, and. Yeah. What was the question again? I think I've got... What have you learned about yourself? Oh, on yeah. The um, I've learned that, um, you know, a bit of kindness goes a long way. So, um, especially with the startup community, helping each other out. It's 
it's you get a better benefit by collaborating and just helping people than you do by um you know trying to be conniving and backstabbing mm. and things like that it's just not worth the energy living your life like that mm. it's just much easier to be upfront honest and you know sharing i guess is the the big one um i've learned that the human body can survive off less than an hour sleep a night for <laughs> about an eight week period before, <laughs> before things start getting a bit messy but yeah. um yeah so there's been a lot of good and bad that i've learned that the majority of it's been great and mm. very um eye-opening as well um what the big thing for me was confidence as well mm. like just learning to talk to people i've always been more of a technical person hiding in my dark laboratory over test tubes and things like that so getting out there and networking events i still find quite difficult but i've got better at them um yeah and um they're, they're very powerful things to have that ability just to be able to talk to people um and what you learn from them as a result it's just it's been great um yeah no there's just there's a lot of things i mean you know i've taught myself coding as well which is really cool yeah and that's totally addicted to now so i want to go study software engineering eventually mm. if i ever have time again yeah and just all these things that i'm really interested in i didn't know existed and so it's given me more ammunition for my natural curiosity to probably last a lifetime from here so awesome. yeah <laughs> what does the next um three to five years look like yeah it could go either way uh, <laughs> you might see me <laughs> on the corner of a street flip me a gold coin that'd be great no, I'm, I'm joking. You, st you still have this. Like, <laughs> you still have this. Oh, yeah, it's going really well. But it could be like, you know. But yeah. it could be horrible. This is yeah. Yeah, the Jekyll and Hyde moment of mentioning the roller coaster. So, yes. yeah, um, yeah, there's some really exciting things. It does change week to week, yeah. pretty much how it looks. But ideally, by that point, we'll be national um, as well as New Zealand. We're in talks about setting up a pilot there very soon. Um, and I'd like to have our first few international um regions up and running as well also on the research development side of things there's a few really cool ideas i want to have started working on and hopefully have some validation on those soon mm. um but yeah ultimately we'd like to be a um international company by that point and expand our capabilities quite a lot as well so we can do a lot more complex structures by that point and um hopefully just listen to the market listen to the government listen to the builders and incorporate their feedback into it and just make the best damn thing we can. Mm. And um, for me, that it's about continued innovation and research. We're using this as a means to keep going and eventually um, streamline the entire process of it and keep learning as we do it. And um, yeah, so yeah, there's a lot on the cards. Mm. Um, Maybe we get the house out of jeopardy as well. Yeah, that would be nice um, <laughs> just to not worry about that. That'd be really nice. Um, but yeah, like, you know, being a startup, funds are limited at the moment. So all I can really afford is to pay off the interest at the moment. So yes. hopefully I'll start denting that soon. But at the end of the day, money is very, you know, it's not overly high up on my priority list. It's mm. more about um, getting the thing out there and people using it is um, my mm. number one goal. And just making something really cool that solves problems. Yeah, and learning from it. How do you keep yourself quite? Uh, how do you keep yourself grounded through all of this? Um, oh, my wife's really good at um, keeping me grounded. She always reminds me, you know, after a good meeting or like an yeah. award or something, 
don't forget Thursday's still bin day. <laughs> <laughs> and so she keeps me nice and grounded and puts me in my place if um, my ego rears its head a bit. Um, and also the fact that, you know, I'm working so much, I don't really have a social life, so I've got nothing to really, right. no one to really gloat to anymore. So, um, mm. so yeah, it's just always work. And that's just my number one focus, work and my wife and son. Mm. Um, my wife and son come first, of course. Mm. Don't worry, honey. Um, <laughs> and new baby coming in, in a few weeks, which we affectionately named it. <clears throat> yeah. No, we don't know the gender yet. So, yeah, it's right. just baby number two. Baby number point. two. Yeah. So that's... This year for me, it's about um, getting a bit more time off and um, spending a bit more time with the family. But it's been great working from home mostly, um, so I can help out and do that stuff. So, yeah, that's um, the me- the short term goal is to yeah spend a bit more time not working. Mm. But I don't know if I could, to be honest, if I wanted to. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, to the person who's listening to this, who's got a great idea and they're like oh should I go ahead or not what's your advice um, don't listen to people who say it can't be done you've got to learn for yourself if it can't, can or can't be and you've always got the internet to check and um, you know if you're passionate about something stick with it and um, you'll get there eventually could take a year could take a week um, be persistent that's it. That persistence and passion, mm, definitely. Awesome. And and one of the, the final questions. Well, I have another question for you after that, but that's specific for you. Um, one of the final questions I nearly always ask my guests is, if you could upload a small piece of n- nugget of information or knowledge or something you picked up along the way into the collective consciousness, so everybody just gets it. <laughs> oh, I wish everyone just got this. What would it be? Oh, geez. That's pretty mind blowing. Um, the collective consciousness, one piece of information. So, look, I'd always say, you know, do the right thing by yourself and by other people and just, you know, work with integrity and, you know, things will work out. So, if you go around trying to sabotage or be a jerk to people, generally they're going to be a jerk and jerk back and it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. But if you're genuine and passionate about something, um, you know, then you'll find people are willing to be genuine and passionate back and it just yeah. makes the world a better place yeah. um, if you've got good intentions. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> now, one of the last things is I noticed on your um, LinkedIn profile that you also put yourself down as dad joke connoisseur. <laughs> so I want to ask, what's your, what's your, what's your current favourite oh, dad joke? Oh, and we'll have a dad joke off here because oh, I've no. got one floating around at the moment. Oh no! Oh no! Put me on the spot. I should really like prepare for these things. There's just so many good dad jokes or yeah. bad dad jokes, depending how you see it. Oh yeah, the, um, the line between the two is really thin. <laughs> All right. So, what's a uh, wind turbine's favourite music? I don't know. They're just really big metal fans. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> what I've got recently. <laughs> The one I've got recently is, um, and, and I read this, read this the other day. It was, um, uh, I didn't want to admit that my dad was stealing from work as a, as a roadside worker. But when I got home, all the signs were there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, I've got a bit of an adult rated dad joke though. So it's probably Go on, a bit close, un, it, close un, it out. On PC, but um, 
What do you do if a bird shits on your windscreen? <laughs> Don't ask her out again. There you go. <laughs> Tom, if somebody wants to come and find you for either... Um, uh, they want to know more about Andrew or they want to book you for a stage performance. Where can they find you? Um, you I was about to say something really bad then, but um, yeah, look, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, pop me, go to our website and um, there's a contact email there. Be happy to chat anytime. And, yeah. you know, if it's an idea or if you've got a passion and you want to know where to start, I'd love to help out. Um, I'm just super passionate about other passionate people wanting to solve yeah. problems and I'm happy to help anytime. So within reason. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. It's been fascinating to hear your journey. Um, because I've no doubt that you're going to, you know, I'd like you to come back on the podcast in, you know, year or so's time and you'll be telling me about how you've sold that house and gone to a new one and, <laughs> and stuff like that. But it's fascinating to hear someone's, someone's journey to this point. And, and how real it's been, how scary it's been, how principled you've been as well with it. Tried to be. Yeah, yeah. tried to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, but also, yeah, it's just been fascinating and it's been super real. And thank you very much for taking your time, taking, taking time out of your day to come and share that story. No, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Cool. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks, mate. <laughs>